What's up? It's Tommy Green. You're listening to the Rev Talks podcast brought to you by the Rev Gatherings, digital tribe of up-and-comers, emerging leaders, doing our best to keep in step as the face of the church changes in our generation. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, welcome home. If you are a returning visitor, hiya. Feel free to subscribe, share it around, give us a five-star review. Tell somebody. If you like what you hear, please let us know. You can reach out to us at therevgatherings.com. Feel free to email us at therevgatherings at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. See you on the other side. for you guys to get a chance to meet another friend of mine. Uh, He's an amazing thinker. He's a just a beautiful soul. I was blown away when I met uh, Casey and his um, just the way that his mind works around uh, especially like almost like the theology of relationship as it pertains to fatherhood. Um, He's just a guy with a good head on the shoulders. So I'm just grateful for him. Him and his uh, beautiful wife, Sam, they, they live in Brooklyn right now, but they're just getting ready to move to the Colorado area and plant a church. Um, I think he just finished up like master studies. So when I, when I talked to him and did this interview, this was the beginning of 2020, pre-corona camp, and he's a youth pastor at a church in Tribeca um, in New York City. And so I know we talked about ministry, what it's like ministering to kids in New York, um, kind of his perspective on that. Um, and then just life and, and faith and all the things. So anyways, I'm really excited if you guys get a chance to meet the um, outstanding, the brilliant, the funny, the fashionable, the uh, amazingly tender-hearted and, uh, and wise Casey B. Crocker. All right, we are, we are live and recording. Casey, Casey Crocker. Welcome um, to the Rev Talks podcast, bro. Rev Talk from uh, Brooklyn, New York. Yes. Coming from Brooklyn, New York, bro. Hi. Hey, hey. How you doing, man? Okay, so what's new and exciting in your universe? Hmm. New and exciting. I don't know. Starting uh, my almost last semester of school, which is pretty exciting. And how so long, that's. How long have you been doing that now? school yeah i mean since i was like five years old i think yeah so i mean that's what like 18 years at this point like what the hell oh yeah nice (laughs) no uh so it's just a two-year program um but it's taking me a little bit longer to finish it so this will be semester number four but i'll need one more semester after Mm. Mm -hmm. okay and then what do you for people that people that have never met you before people that maybe even some of the rev kids that just didn't get a chance to catch up with you. Okay. What, who, who are you? Where are you? Who do you love? Yeah. What do you do with yourself? Nice. So, um, yeah, my name is Casey, uh, born and raised in Texas, but I've been in New York city since 2013. So seven years now. And man, uh, I love people. Um, though not always. Uh, 
and not forever, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I'll put it this way. I, I love people, but that doesn't mean I always like them. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they're crazy and hilarious and weird and that's okay. So yeah, man, I, I love to see people come alive to who they are. I love to see people come alive to why they're here, where they're going, uh, and the power that's inside of them. Um, I'm convinced that uh, none of us truly know our potential, and so we need each other to shine a light on that so that we can be everything that we were created and designed and made to be. Mm. Yeah. All right. I mean, that sounds good. Right. You know. Yeah. Pretty stinking good. Okay, so what, okay, what do you do with yourself out there? In- yeah. So uh, I'm a youth pastor for a church in Manhattan. Uh, and uh, that looks like hanging out with middle school and high school kids, talking about life, looking at memes, TikTok, whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. I mean, I'm still over here recovering from Vine dying uh, because of Instagram. But TikTok is already, you know, taking its place, which is a little sad. But it is what it is. And uh, yeah. Uh, hanging out with them, watching movies, talking about life, playing games, you know, talking about Jesus and all of that, helping them see who they are and why they're here. Uh, Love to read, um, though I'm still figuring out how to do that. And uh, I also love to play video games. Yeah. Uh, What are you doing right now? What, What games are you into right now? Uh, so right now, I'm a big fan of Call of Duty Modern Warfare. It's the most recent one. came out last October. Um, and yeah, I love it. It's fun. I mean, there's this thing called the COD Rage, which mm-hmm. is totally real. Uh, it's, when, <laughs> it's when you're getting owned by, you know... A nine-year-old? From- yeah, right? <laughs> Whose like, thumbs can move faster than yours, which is infuriating. <laughs> uh but you know there's like sweet relief and and solace and getting them back which is also great so that's so sick dude it's uh, it's hilariously <laughs> and like sometimes i don't know there was a time not too long ago after i got the game when samantha was like are you having fun and i was like yes She's like, <laughs> you don't sound like it and i'm like oh no, it is it is so much fun it's also incredibly infuriating and stressful i love it yeah, my uh, I have a I have a Garmin watch that monitors my heart rate like twenty four seven, and uh, it also monitors stress levels. <laughs> and when I play, my stress level increases, uh, which is hilarious. Uh, so I also take it as an opportunity to you know practice self control. Realize it's just a video game and it's fine if I get killed by little kids. Uh, oh snap! And so. Okay, so wait, so tell everyone in the world about your wonderful Samantha. Uh, Samantha is amazing. Samantha is my wife, for those of you who don't know. Uh, We met uh, 2006 uh, in high school and went on this big and messy and exciting uh, journey of discovering who we are uh, as we grew into adults. and then we got married. That's amazing. She is a 
wonderful person. Uh, she is a powerhouse, uh, but she's also really kind and tender and a great listener, which is good. Um, man, I don't know. She's, uh, I can't really imagine being with anyone else, uh, which is interesting to think about, A, because we've known each other for so long, but also because we've experienced so much life already together. Like I met her when I was 18 and she was 16. Uh, I turned 32 in like a month and a half, two months. Uh, and so that's just weird to think about that for almost, not quite, but almost half my life I've known her, which is really interesting. Right? That's wild. And so it's nuts. But yeah, she's uh, like, she's great. Uh, it's fun to chill and watch shows. It's fun to travel. It's fun to hang out in the kitchen. It's, you know, she's a great person. And I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. so riddle me this then, Texas. So what was your opinion of, because you're talking like youth, like I'm a youth pastor. And so sure. for, you know, people in the Midwest, that might mean one thing. Yeah. People on yeah. the West Coast, that might mean something else. For people sure. in the South, that means something else. Like, what was your opinion of New York youth kids mm. when you were from Texas versus what is, for people that would have, maybe they have like something um, what do you find that kids from your community or kids from the city, yeah. what are they actually struggling with? Where are they, yeah. what are they really dealing with? Yeah. It's really interesting uh, because um, while New Yorkers and New York kids are entirely different, they're still humans, right? They are still wrestling with acceptance. They're still wrestling with, uh, identity and value and purpose and the meaning of everything, right? Mm -hmm. But they function at an insanely high level. Um, the kids that I hang out with are super smart. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, I heard it put this way last week, and I thought it was a really, really poignant way to put it is New York kids, New York youth are two years older than their peers everywhere else, right? So I'm hanging out with, like, I was hanging out with a seventh grader uh, the other week, and uh, during our conversation, um, he was talking about, like, how come, he's basically asking questions about death, uh, and uh, is God in control? Does he uh, orchestrate everything and all of this, right? And um, he's a seventh grader, and he was wanting to know, like, why, why do good people die? Mm -hmm. Why doesn't God protect them? But he, you know, protects people that don't care. Or he asked a very interesting question that might, you know, be a conversation for a separate podcast, but he asked a question about, um, like why he, he put it this way. Why does God send people to hell if they don't believe in him? That doesn't sound like something that doesn't sound like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I was like, bro, that's a great question. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we need to talk about that in more detail, <laughs> right? And so it's uh, it's really interesting, right? And so he's a seventh grader thinking about that. When I was in seventh grade, I was I wanted it, I wanted my friends to like me. I wanted girls to like me. I wanted to wear certain clothes because I wanted to fit in. I was not thinking about life and the way that he is, right? Um, or even also, like I don't know a lot of seventh graders that'll just be like, hey, I got to get up in the morning and I got to catch the train and I got to take yeah. it across town for like this other thing. I got to navigate. Yeah all my own like right? it's a whole world full of millions of people 
Yeah. That does a whole lot for your yeah. like maturity. It's crazy. Awareness. Another thing that's nuts is you have to apply for junior high and high school. Why? Because there's a bajillion people or what? Uh, they like, so there's public schools, which mm -hmm. you could just go to if it's in your region, but you still need to have good enough grades to get into them, wow. which is, that's one thing, right? So like in fifth grade, for example, right, you take these exams to figure out which middle schools or junior high uh, schools that you can qualify for, right? And as a seventh or eighth grader, you're doing the same thing for high school, right? Wow. And so um, some schools are designed to focus on certain skills or academics, not like a trade school, but schools that are better for science per se, right? And so uh, these kids are already thinking about what they want to be when they grow up, when they're in elementary and junior high, right? Mm. Uh, because... It, why would you not want to go to the best school that you could go to for science, right? For the hard sciences and stuff like that. And so you're already curating your resume, as it were, for high school. Not like, you know, when I was in high school, people were talking a lot about like, oh, you know, you got to volunteer and do extracurricular activities because it looks good for your college resume, yada, 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 right? These kids are doing it as middle schoolers. Uh, which is like unreal. And uh, so it's just, just all the added stress of that, right? Um, with everything else that's going on in their lives and their bodies at that age. Wow. So it's like, it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. That's pretty cool. I like that kind of that statistic. I feel that way. I feel like my dad and my mom were like, they really were like, it was a different era when they mm -hmm. were growing up. They were they yeah. were both born, they were like basically born and raised in San Francisco, mm -hmm. but it's that same thing where like public transportation was the thing. You play, yeah. she played ditch and like hide and seek for like 10 square city blocks with like 60 kids and the game yeah. went on forever because you couldn't catch everyone. And yeah. it was like, you, you made the city your playground in a lot of yep. ways. And I yeah. think that lends itself to like an independence and I don't know. Anyways, that's, that's really cool to think about. Like, yeah, they are just, it's, they're, they're navigating a bunch of different challenges. Whereas like kids from the Midwest or kids from another part of the country, they have their own unique challenges and perspectives. And, but I think in general, New York, it, um, to me, New York is like where movies are made and it's where like rich professionals or like really amazing hip hop artists just like yeah. showed up somehow, but like yeah. childhood in the city doesn't usually get covered a lot. No, so it's, it's nuts. Like that kind of dynamic. All right. That's wild, man. Okay. So New York youth mm -hmm. pastoring, what are you getting your degree in? Biblical literature um, with a, an emphasis in New Testament. So that basically means um, I look at the New Testament through the lens of the cultural, religious, and societal practices of the first century. Um, yeah. So an example is uh, last night uh, for one of my classes, we covered uh, the exile uh, of Israel, which was like five to six hundreds ish uh, BC, all the way up to the first century, because there was so much political change uh, in that period that it led to 
what we see in the New Testament, but it wasn't always that way. And so the goal is to study and look at the context of the Bible so that we can better understand what it's saying mm-hmm. um, and how to interpret it and apply it. So like, <clears throat> I'm thinking of a, of a fellow New Yorker, his name was the Rizza, and he was the, the great mastermind in many ways behind um, the Wu-Tang Clan. And he ah. said he appreciated the Bible as a, kind of like a holy writing, but he really looked at it mostly as mythology. Mm-hmm. Like he could pull stories out of it, he could pull meaning out of it. So I don't want yeah. to do that. But yeah. um, so I was thinking about the book of Nehemiah. That's like what I was, or second Ezra or what, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, or, you know, whatever. But, um, I was looking at it today and I wasn't looking at it in terms of uh, the historical thing of like, you know, people that came from bondage, reestablishing their culture, rebuilding their city. I was trying to look at it in terms of like um, people with no self-control, reestablishing mm-hmm. healthy boundaries. <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, so talk about like for you, um, from, from where you're seated, you're seated too, because you have to like, you have to be looking at the Bible a specific way right now, like in a lot of ways, like you, there's like the practical, like completing your degree. There's the part of the Bible that maybe your heart comes alive when you read it and you're kind of mm-hmm. straddling both right now. Like it's your homework as yeah. much as it's like your life source. Yeah. So maybe I just would be intrigued to know where do you feel like people in our in our generation. So people that are like under 40, older than 15, as you watch things kind of shift, where do you want people to land in terms of the Bible as Mm -hmm. the Bible as mythology and the Bible as history? Where do you feel like if you could plant a couple flags in the ground, what's the most important thing to you right now about the, the beautiful written work that is the Holy Bible? Yeah. Um, man, that's a good question. I think, thank you. Thank you, Casey. You know what I mean? That's like what I do. Just try to ask, you know, good. Just keep keep (laughs) I just realized there was that lull and I was like, I'm wondering how that's going to sound. It's like, that's a good question. Just dead silence. Like, like I'm daring you double dog. (sighs) (laughs) I'll I'll breathe into the microphone. So there's no dead silence. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great question, Tommy. Uh, man, that is a good question because I think it's really interesting. It forces us to look at how we already view the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot to say about that. I have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, right. Like my background has played a big role in that. I, I grew up in church, but I grew up in, in a, a Southern Baptist church that wasn't very Southern Baptist except for like a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also didn't really like going to church at first as a kid. Uh, I started going when I was nine years old because I was a rambunctious child and my mom wanted me to have some good influences in my life. Sure. And she grew up going to church. And so she thought this would be a good place to go. Right. But I remember like my fifth grade <clears throat> Sunday school teacher, I'm sure he was a very nice man. Um, but he was boring and old, like, (laughs) right. So like I'm nine years old and this guy 
is, I mean, he had to have been like in his sixties, right? Which is older, sure, right? But I remember thinking like, man, this is just so boring. And so I'd asked to go to the bathroom and then I'd never come back. Uh, I, I mean, the church I grew up in was a mega church, right? And so it was massive and it was easy to wander around and not be seen if you didn't want to be, right? Yeah. So I would just go like wander and whatever, right? Because it was like, this is boring. Um, but then junior high happened, right? And youth ministry was fun and exciting and I made friends. Uh, but I just kind of went through the motions, you know? Yeah. Um, and my faith was always something that it was more of like a, an obligation and a duty than anything else. Mm. Right. And then, you know, I go off to college for a couple of years and my major at the time was music performance with an emphasis in jazz studies. Um, and so I, music was my life. And then sure, Jesus was kind of there, but I was also like drugs, alcohol, party, I'd say rock and roll, but not so much. It was jazz, <laughs> right? So uh, I'm, putting like, a, I'm putting a pin in that. We're coming yeah. back around to that. So keep going, keep yeah, going. For sure, right? And so I remember for like those, those two years, I remember walking up to a, a church in the town where my school was and I remember looking at everybody and I was like, everybody's old. Everybody is like an adult and they look boring. They look square. They look religious. And I, if they were to know what I was doing in my background, they would judge me hardcore. Right. And so I just turned around and walked away. I didn't even, I didn't even walk through the threshold of the church. Um, but then uh, through a series of events, uh, like God does, my perspectives changed and my eyes were open to things that had they'd otherwise been closed to. Right. Wow. So that's like my faith journey to a degree. Like I was the Christian kid, my friends at school knew I was a Christian, but I was also like, I was not, not that I remember ever really like super religious about it. I also remember like at an early age realizing that denominations were dumb. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause like my friends right? It would be like, they would identify as Baptist because we went to a Baptist church, right? And so when people would find out I was a Christian, they would say, well, what kind? And I was like, a Christian, like I believe in Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but like Catholic, Baptist, Methodist. And I was like, well, I go to a Baptist church, but I don't consider myself Baptist, right? And so that was like my perspective, even in high school. Um, then you fast forward, right? God gets my attention through a series of events. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out my life. And so I start reading the Bible again by myself for myself because I needed to figure out what I really believed and why. Yeah. Um, and then he like arrests my attention as it were uh, in a way that God can do. It's like very aggressive, but also like really amazing, right? Like it's, and like, if you were to step back, it's, you know, uh, we use terms like enraptured, right? Or um, he, uh, like, or like I said earlier, like he'll arrest your, like he arrested my attention, right? Those are very like graphic words, uh, but that's what he does, right? Like you look at Paul, you look at Moses, you look at all, all these things. It's like super like, boom, there it is. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and it's like he's subtle, but not always. And so 
I had to figure out what I believed and why. And so I started reading the Bible for myself and that put me on a journey uh, that led me to where I am today. Uh, but wow. what's interesting about that, and I, I kind of share a lot of that um, to say this, studying and learning is a way that I connect with God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, when I went on that journey to discover what I believed and why, uh, I wasn't just reading the Bible. I was reading other books as well, but God was still leading and guiding me through that mm -hmm. in very intentional ways. And looking back, I can say that I, he was speaking to me, even though I didn't recognize it was his voice. Yeah. Does that makes sense. And so, um, I love reading books about ethics or philosophy or history or whatever, not just theology books or biblical study books. Um, even though I do enjoy those as well. Um, so reading the Bible for me and, and kind of like putting flags on the ground to use your, to use your terminology. I think it's really important that we identify that the Bible is a history and when humans look at history, we see the figures that we would often call as heroes, right? And that turns into a mythology. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because humanity gathers around heroes and, and mythologies of great mm -hmm. epic tales and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. We, all, we always yeah. have. Um, and so I don't think that's a bad thing. But I do think it is important to understand that um, it is also a history book. And, yeah. and that's valuable and, and helpful in understanding it, but also applying it because... There's, you know, we look around and we ask ourselves like, well, how is the Bible applicable to me? Well, um, right. God exists and you're a human. And that's essentially what the entire Bible is about is God's interaction with humanity in various ways. Right. So where, where does that question kind of get muddy? Right. Like what, what does that Bible have to do with me? You're like, well, mm -hmm. are you in Palestine? Then yeah. nothing. It has yeah. nothing to do. So right. tell me about that a little bit, because I like yeah. where you're going, like as you unpack that. Like, or how about this? Who is someone that was a hero, a mythic mm -hmm. hero to you, mm -hmm. and allowing them to just be historical has actually helped you see Jesus more? Hmm. And then you can get back on your train, because you're talking about yeah. the idea of looking at it as mythology and that we do gather to those stories. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's really interesting. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I could isolate a historical figure and say that that person would be a hero, mm -hmm. because like <clears throat> I look back and I don't ever, I don't ever remember being like, ah, like I don't know. Like I, like there are people that have done really amazing and great things for humanity as a whole but i'm also like i don't idolize them i don't know uh i would if i would use terms like heroes and without like asterisks right yeah, because yeah. like everybody's got a past right <laughs> and when we idolize someone um it can create an unrealistic picture of who they actually are did you do that with jesus in what way did you make him like that's one of my favorite things to think yeah. through is where am yeah. i making him a concept 
and yeah. where where does where is he actually right like sure if he's just a, if he's just an image then i don't yeah. have to deal yeah right and so that's that at all i don't know mm-hmm. i remember i remember this was uh 2009 into 2010 ish Mm -hmm. when I started having this realization that um, Jesus is a person, not an idea. Wow. Right. And so it's, that's like, I think that could be the danger of only viewing scripture as a mythology. Sure. Like I think there's a lot of really good things that could come out of it. And and we see a lot of people doing this. Um, because scripture is filled with empowering stories, right? And yeah. we need we need those. Yes. Um, but they're not just stories, mm-hmm. and that's, in my opinion, that's where the real empowerment comes from, right? It is is we often look at the highlight reel of someone's life, and we say, "Man, that's a hero," but then we separate ourselves from them, and we find ourselves disempowered in the process. Yo. Right. And so I think it's important to remember that like yeah. sure, like David was a person, Joseph was a person. Yeah, was a person. And your like yeah, the apostles, people, Paul, people, right? But Jesus was as well. And that's honestly where I find a lot of my conversations coming now when I meet with people. Um, because Jesus is the blueprint for humanity, right? Jesus is normal for human standards, right? The life that he lived, he lived as though he were just a man, a person, right? Um, and that means he is the high, he's like, he's not just the high watermark. He's also like the standard upon which we can build, right? Wow. So. If we create heroes uh, devoid of humanity, we unintentionally disempower the entire process, right? And so if we view Jesus just as a concept, not as uh, a person, then we, in my opinion, lose a lot of the power that Christianity has. Wow. Because I'm like, there's this doc, it's not a documentary, actually, it's a movie. Um, and it is one of it's one of my favorite movies. I recommend it a lot. It's called Last Days in the Desert, and it's a, a fictitious telling of Jesus's forty days in the desert. Um, yeah, it's fictitious because we have no information about what really. Of mm. temptation, right? Yeah, and so it is it's a really powerful story. And I remember when I first watched the trailer for it, I, I cried and I watched the trailer probably like 30 times Wow! Um, before buying it. Yeah. Okay. And, um, in the desert. yeah, okay. it's just insane. And, uh, the part that made me cry was Jesus was sitting at a campfire in the desert by himself. Right. And, um, the camera is on him and then you hear a voice, but his mouth isn't moving. Right. Signifying there's another character uh, about to enter the screen. And the voice says something along the lines of like, do you think it really matters? Right. 
and the camera angle changes and you see it's supposed to be the figure of Satan or Lucifer, right? And he's like, in 2000 years, is anyone going to know what you did? Does it really even matter? Is it going to change anything? And bro, (laughs) in that stage of my life and in that stage with my journey with God, that is what I needed to hear is that Jesus was also tempted in despair to not do anything because what is it really going to change? Right. I, yeah. we have these dreams in our lives. Ooh, I don't hear your audio ones. anymore. Oh, sorry. I can't hear you. Oh man. We'll keep going. Huh? That's oh. a huge bummer. Sorry. Right. Uh, oh, there it is. I hear you. Cool. Did you accidentally um, mute yourself? No. Okay. No, I'm okay. saying something like that. Sorry. So yeah. who hasn't had that same, like right now, mm-hmm. that's the voice, right? That a lot of people are right. hearing. It right. doesn't matter your life. What You're not him. You'll never be yeah. him. Like, yeah. Yeah. wow. Okay. Right. Like, or even like, or even this, like the thing that's like so important to you, the thing that's on your heart, the thing that God is calling you to do, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. What's it going to change? Right. And that's the thing is like, right. So that's where like viewing it as a mythology can be empowering. But if you remove the historical veracity of it, if you, if you remove the human element from the scriptures, you are also disempowering it. Right. Which is kind of the genius of the whole thing. mm -hmm. Like why would God partner with the world like that? Yeah. Yeah. If he was going to tell a story, he could tell it a lot better, except Absolutely. in order for it to be a success, he's got to consider his audience, which is us. Yeah. So he tells it with us, through us, by us, and goes, yeah. can you see? Wow, that's really right. good. And so, but man, yeah, that documentary is really great. Or not a documentary, I keep saying that. It's just a movie. Um, no, man, Ewan McGregor is Jesus in it. It's totally real. Yeah, Obi-Wan right, yeah. is Jesus. Yeah. And, and Lucifer which also is the brilliance of it. Oh, snap. Yeah, dude, there's five characters in the story, but there's only four actors because Lucifer and they call him Yeshua, which I also think is really great because the director and writer, it's the same guy. He wanted it to be, he didn't want it to be uh, repelling by using the name Jesus, um, which is how most people in the Western world understand and identify the son of God as Jesus. So he used his, like Hebrew Aramaic name Yeshua to for the storytelling purpose, which I think is really funny. Uh, Right. Right. But what's really powerful is that you see, like there's also that like psych, like psychological element to it of Lucifer and Jesus are played by the same actor. They look a little bit different, right? If you look up stills from the movie, if you watch it, you'll see that Lucifer is a little more vain has jewelry uh looks a little more put together his clothes are a little bit fancier um but other than that it's the same actor because the if you if you think about it from like the human perspective our biggest enemy right isn't necessarily someone that's out there that we can see it's the voice or voices that we hear on the inside right and so like that imagery of they look like the same person, but slightly different, I think is also really powerful. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that movie is 10 out of 10 would recommend. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask this, I guess, because this is just one of my favorite questions. We're going to have people that are going to be on the, the um, podcast, and I think a majority of people are going to be in, in their journey as opposed to, like, don't believe in the journey at all. Um, mm. But we'll probably have people from all over the place that sure. are love mm. the Lord and people that are going to don't not believe a thing and um, more philosophical stuff like that. But because I know you and I know where you're at, I, I really appreciate this question. So, so who who was Jesus for mm-hmm. you yeah. when you got awakened? Mm-hmm. Who is Jesus for you now in this season? Yeah, that's funny. Um I think I would say this, um, right? So I feel like this is true for most people, but in the beginning for me, Jesus was that like he was the Lord and savior aspect that we often attribute to him. Right. Mm -hmm. And rightly so. But that's how I identified him. That's how I related to him. In my journey. And growing in God and in my understanding of God. The familial aspect of God has has become more cornerstone than I thought it might be or ever suspected it to be. Mm. Um, And it is transformed how I view the Godhead, but also how I view humanity's role in life and all of that, right? And I would say now, um, Jesus is more... He's still Lord and Savior, yes, right? That's foundational. Yeah. Like, yeah. But there's also, like, a brother aspect, Mm. right? And to use a little, like, theological wordplay, you know, Jesus talked about how all of the law and the prophets, uh, a way of saying all of the Bible— right? Mm Because the law is in the beginning and the prophets were at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And how they viewed the histories and all that was kind of all interwoven as well. But Jesus was saying, all of this book speaks to me. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really interesting is there's this verse in Proverbs that we sometimes put on cards or we don't really know what to do with, but it says, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Mm. And if we take this imagery and play with the mythology aspect of it, we have Cain and Abel, where Cain was not a good brother. Mm. Right? And so we, like, to use the type shadow phraseology, we have Jesus, who is a far better brother. Mm-hmm. Right? Abel had the better gift and Cain got jealous. Um, Abel did more and Cain was jealous, Mm -hmm. right? 
so Cain murdered Abel. Spoiler yeah. alert, if nobody ever knew that. Sorry, <laughs> not, well, now you know, right? It's so, not the same character. Two different yeah. characters. That yeah. movie, there's two guys. One yeah. guy kills another guy. Yeah, right? And so... What a twist. Whoa. Yeah. So there's that. Okay. But then you have Jesus, and you look at his character and his nature as revealed through the four Gospels. And you see something that's very, very different from Cain. You see yeah. him saying things like... Mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Cain, that, Cain could have done that. Cain could have rejoiced with his brother Abel. Wow. Right? You see Jesus saying things uh, like, you're going to go and do better works than what I've done. That's, Cain never said that. Cain got jealous. Right? And so, if we look at, I think if we, if we look at the Godhead as a family, which I believe scripture at a, like a higher, like a, like a narrative flyover level does, then we see Jesus as being a big brother. Wow. Um, and that's how I've been relating to him for the last I don't know, what is it, 2017? Or, wow, no, it's not. It's 2020. What the heck? Right? That's weird. (laughs) Weird. Uh, Since, like, 2016, I think, is really when I started seeing Jesus as a big brother instead of just, you know, oh, he is Lord and Savior and King. Because he is all of those things. But if we take this familial imagery literally, which I believe we should, what does that make Jesus? Hmm. Right. And so it's, um, it's just different, you know, that was the influence. All of that kind of came in. I was sitting on the couch here in my living room one afternoon, all the lights were off and I was just thinking and, um, trying to figure out what's going on in life. I was wrestling with my own issues. Um, with family dynamics, um, not with Samantha, but like with my parents and noticing things in myself that I I wasn't proud of or pleased with and seeing how I inherited those um, unintentionally through my parents, right? And mourning a relationship, um, mourning, mourning a relationship with a person who is still alive. Well, I'll put it that way. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, and I was like, uh, this person is my dad. Um, <laughs> right. Plot twist. Yeah, 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 right? sure. So I mean, I say that because like, well, I'm sitting there laying on my couch and I'm like, man, God, I like, I don't know how to feel about this. I don't know what to do through this. And like, man, Jesus, if you really, if you really experienced humanity in the not good ways, yeah. Like where, where did you experience this? Yeah. And I was fully like, if you fully sympathize with us, yeah. You sympathize with me in this. How do you do that? And how, right. And that's when I like, 
the Rolodex of my brain, right? The Rolodex of our brain. I started like cycling through things. And I realized uh, in a fresh way that we never hear from Joseph again after Jesus is like when he's 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Where did he go? Yeah. What happened? His brothers and sisters are mentioned a handful of times. His mom is clearly present and around. <laughs> yeah. What, what about Joseph? Mm-hmm. What about his dad? And if we take Philippians 2 literally, as I believe we should, that Jesus, though he is God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, thus signifying that he never lived as though he were more than a quote-unquote mere man, right? Wow. He learned so much from Joseph about life, about work, about what it means to be breathing, right? Sure. But then he's gone. And so I went on like a, a Google rabbit trail and nobody knows. Church history doesn't have anything to say about it. The speculations are obvious uh, and twofold. One, he died. Mm -hmm. Joseph died. Or he left. Sure. We have no idea. Um, But that's like... That means he can relate. Yeah. Right? Where... Whether it's Joseph died or Joseph left, it's reasonable to conclude that there was at least one time in Jesus's growing up where he was like, something isn't as it should be. Wow. Like a big lesson that I've been thinking through and writing through is what does it mean? How do you navigate the death of the ideal? Yeah. Right? I'm 31 years old, mm-hmm. married, no kids yet, but like I'm, I'm not old enough to have experienced some things, mm-hmm. but I am old enough to have experienced a lot of things. And there's already in my mind and in my memory, I can see this dichotomy of never thought I'd be here. Wow. Never thought that would have turned out this way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so seeing, seeing and experiencing Jesus as, as a brother Mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, transformative and revolutionary in a way that just seeing him as Lord and Savior is not. Wow. On that same couch, after I had that light bulb moment of where was Joseph, um, I was just thinking and, and listening and sitting in silence. And um, I went into this like vision-like experience. And um, I was in the home that I grew up in. Wow. Uh, in the kitchen, and I was like five years old, six years old, right? 
-hmm. and my mom and dad were in the kitchen talking. Um, and, um, I'm fully aware as this is going on, right? So I'm interpreting this as it's taking place. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I see my mom and dad showing affection to each other, which is not something I ever saw my parents do growing up. Wow. Right. Um, so in that moment, I realized, oh, this is like a story. And I see my mom and dad talking and they're, you know, laughing and they're standing very close to each other. And I see them kiss. And I come running into the kitchen and I say, hey, don't forget about me. And they pick me up and I'm like, they're standing on opposite side of me and they're holding me and they both kiss me on the cheek. And then my older brother walks in. I don't have an older brother. I'm the oldest. Well, and my, older, my older brother's like seven years old. And he says, hey, Casey, let's go play. And so I jump out of my parents' arms and we run into the backyard and we're running around and playing. And that's when it's over. And that experience really changed how I view God and how I view the God. It became irrefutably clear to me that that experience, that little visionary thing that just happened was me in the Godhead. Yeah, 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 sure. Father, as, Son, Holy Spirit in one, vi in one right? vision. Mm. As, family, oh. as family should be. Mm. So I think the beauty of it is, and I think the takeaway for all of that is like, we have an older brother that we can look up to. Wow. We have an older brother that shows us the way. We have an older brother that sticks closer than a friend, right? To kind of flip the, uh, to flip the proverb. Um, and that's rather than it being a death of the ideal is like the, it's the life of the ideal. It is that, it, that is the ideal. And it is our reality as people who profess Jesus and the things of God. Mm. That's beautiful. That's really powerful because it's super good, man. Right? Like that, that has changed so much in how I view God, how I view people, how I view wow. myself. It's epic. It's epic. Because Jesus there are things that if we remove the historicity of Jesus of scripture, that if we, if we erase that, it loses power. Mm -hmm. And that's one of them. <laughs> right. And so it's just, uh, it's so it like it, I don't know it changes something um, both drastically and like on a minuscule level, it just sure. restructures. Right. Yeah. That's powerful. It's really good. Yeah. My, my brain going, which is cool. And my heart going a little bit. I think losing my little brother in May yeah. was a big deal. And Connor was yeah. a really good big brother to my youngest brother, Ryan. 
Yeah. And so I think about when you say we have an older brother that shows us the way. Mm-hmm. I think Connor probably learned how to be a big brother from the Lord in some ways. Yeah. Like it was intrinsic to him because of how he loved. And I think I'd like that's really cool. I just think about brother. Anytime I think of like brothers and stuff, I'm like, man, that's really powerful. And I don't know if I fully know Jesus that way. <clears throat> um because I think I view Jesus, the humanity part of Jesus was as my bridegroom. Mm. It, he, Jesus with skin on was the dude I'm going to marry. Yeah. M- less so like my, my, I'm the older brother in my family. So that relationship is like someone smaller than me. Yeah. And so a, an equal partner as a human in yeah. the Godhead makes more sense on that level to me. It's also been the thing that I think caused me to fall really, really deeply in love with him. Mm-hmm. But um, I like, th- I like this very much thinking of, will he be a big brother to me? Yeah. I hear people say these things and I go, well, yeah, of course. Cause he's like, that's where we, that's where we still have a touch from God is, yeah. is the, the brilliance of our whole history, the brilliance of our tradition, the brilliance of yeah. this spirituality yeah. is that we have, we have a we have a God that fully embraced our experience, so that we can see what God is actually like. Yeah, right here that's powerful. You know, it's not doesn't happen a lot of other places. So, anyways, that's it's so cool. Okay, and that and that deteriorates if God is just a concept or an idea. Fact, fact. I think that's okay. what, that's the hill I was going to fight and die on for a long time. And I, I wrote lyrics about it. That's why it's interesting that you said it. Cause I, I wrote yeah. lyrics for a song and said, I don't worship a concept. I follow a King. But to me, I felt like in that space, that's the defiant part of me. That's like Chrissy green is a real human. So like, don't, cause that's a real human. You know what I mean? Like yeah. don't write a story about her and act like, you know, her, like I know her. Like, so I think on some level there's that the reality of relationship is true. I like that. I like the way that God has connected with you and the way that you've connected with God in Christ as, as a brother, that familial relationship. It's so powerful, man. Okay. Cause see, if we look at it that way, as it really is so much of it changes, right? Like what is it? What does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm so many different answers to that question. Most of them are inherently limiting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think scripture tells a different story. I think to be human is to be like God. If that's what Jesus, Jesus, if Jesus is the blueprint, yep. that's what it is. Right. As because, is, so are we in this world. Right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we, if we look at the context in which scripture was written, we see, we see this battle with idolatry mm. from the onset, pretty much, right? And in our context, it feels silly and it feels weird because it's like, oh yeah, they create these little figurines and then they worship them. So dumb our idols are intellectual or philosophical right and it's like okay bro like you that just shows that you're missing you're missing something right they believed that 
when you would carve this idol and you'd finish it and you'd dedicate it, that the spirit of that God would come and inhabit the idol, right? Yeah. What is humanity? Hmm. And what is Jesus in human right? one? Like yeah. the perfect carving of God yeah. in a human yeah. being. Wow. Yeah. Right. Okay. But go back to Genesis 1 and 2. An idol and an image are the same thing. Mm. They'd create images of their gods. Mm-hmm. God made us images of him. Yeah. So from the onset. We've had this hardwired in our created DNA, mm-hmm. this reflective glory thing. Right. That's right. who we really are. That's where we were meant to be. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is this roller coaster ride of God and Israel, but metaphorically humanity, right? Because the Israelites were humans just like we are, right? But we see this roller coaster ride between God and, and Israel, the Hebrews. And it's like things just got lost. Things just got lost. And it got worse and worse and worse leading up to the time of Jesus. Um, what's insane is that there was this guy, he was a, he was a emperor, and I'm blinking on his name right now. Um, his name was Antiochus, right? Mm-hmm. Antiochus. Uh, Epiphanes, um, and he was a uh, emperor, and uh, this was like 160s BC, and he, through the Hellenization, right through the the cultural transformation that the Hebrew people were experiencing with the expansion of the Roman and and Greco empires, we see. Hellenization take place, right? They start speaking Greek. They start practicing Greek things, right? This guy essentially got all of the Jews in Jerusalem to stop worshiping God through cultural influence and things like that to the point that he dedicated their temple to a pagan God and he would sacrifice pigs on their altar, something that they would never do. And all of the Jews were implicit in this. They were like, no, okay, sure, yeah. Uh, Except for the Jews in the surrounding villages, right? And the diaspora. So things were like trashed. And then Jesus comes to show us the way, right? These are all things that we all already know, right? Like Jesus came to show us the way. All were all abstrained, yada, yada. We all know this. But we disconnect it from the humanity aspect of it, of Jesus is our example. (laughs) Jesus reminded us of what it means, right? And I'm sure people will be upset by this, but reminds us of what it means to be a human yeah. in relationship with the Father. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, and so Jesus functioned as a mirror mm-hmm. in a really beautiful and powerful way. And I believe everybody knows this. They either just have never been... You know, they've never been shown it, and so there's no that no recollection or recall or light bulb moment. Or they're just, you know, they they are missing something. But if you look at like why did all the sinners, right, the outcasts, those who were rejected, 
Why did they all love Jesus? Because they saw who they really were in him. Yeah. And he made room for them to come, like come be close. It was, po- it was possibility. This could, right? this could be real. Exactly. Mm. All the this religious thing. leaders hated him. They didn't want to hear that. Because they saw who they were in them. Right. Yeah. And probably where they'd compromised and where they'd grown. Absolutely. Up and like how Absolutely. far they had fallen. And, Absolutely. Uh, I said to be true. The other day, that's what I said. I was talking at a church or something. And I said, Hey, in order to become the truly prophetic people that we need to be, we uh-huh. need to embrace the message of, Hey, I was wrong. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's like the, the gateway of like, now you, now you've got empty hands and now you can actually pick up yeah. your prophetic meaning again. Yeah. Um, but we're doing the same thing. I think in a lot of ways in culture, if we forfeit the power of a nation state or the power of some government over the power of um, the love of God, the truly subversive mm-hmm. countercultural love of this Jesus. Yeah. I think we do the same thing. And then he shows up for other people saying it's possible. And we in the kingdom realm are like, no, not for them, not that, not there, not them. Like, and we don't want to mm-hmm. let go of where we've lost our way. I've, I've yeah. been that guy for sure. So gosh, that's powerful. Erasing, erasing the humanity of Jesus reinforces an us versus them mentality mm. because Jesus embodied the destruction of us versus them. Oh. Everybody was involved. Everybody was invited. Everybody was accepted. Everybody had a seat, right? Yeah. Except for those that didn't want to take it. Yeah. Right. And so what we see and I think this is like the big, I foresee, I foresee this being the big message that the church has to offer um, and coming into, I guess, a new generation or whatever, you know, word you want to use. Like right now, I think the big thing is um, that to be like, to be human is to be like God mm-hmm. and to be like God is to look like Jesus in every sense. Right. Say and, again. One more time for the people in the back. Oh gosh, uh, I think I said to be to be human is to be like God, and to be like God is to look like Jesus, right? <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> what do we see in Jesus? We see someone who is powerful, mm. both emotionally and spiritually. Yeah, uh, we see someone who walks in power, right? Uh, like the gifts and supernatural and all that stuff. But we also see someone who's going to go talk to an outcast at a well. We also see someone who's going to invite um, himself over to dinner with a guy that the church, the, the, the religious people would spit on. Mm -hmm. We see him choose the rejects. Mm. to transform a, a, a culture, right? That's like one of those things that like I talked, I had a, a youth parent meeting uh, on Sunday night with the parents of my youth. Um, and I went on this rabbit trail because it's one of my favorite things to talk about, uh, at least as it pertains to youth. Um, I love the church. I love people. I love to, my, my big life goal is to see the church walk in maturity. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And right now that looks like ministering to young people in New York city. Yeah. And, um, I've had this conversation with the youth a little bit, uh, in separate moments, but talking about the disciples, we typically see the disciples characterized as middle-aged men and Jesus is younger than them. Yeah. Uh, that's like a Victorian era ideal. Like that's it's influenced by art, not influenced by historicity because if you go to Israel today, right. Mm -hmm. If you've never been strongly recommend it, food's amazing. People are great. And I mean, you talk about being in a place that's been around for 40, like almost, well, I guess not really 45, uh, well, about 3000 years, yeah. right? America is like infant, right? Yeah. A, a fetus yeah. in comparison to the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're walking around and it's just a place that's filled with history. It's amazing. But if you go to Israel and you go to Jerusalem and you go to the temple, you'll see rabbis walking around and you'll see them with their disciples and mm-hmm. their disciples are children. What we know um, about the religious context for the Jews in the first century is not extensive or exhaustive, but there is enough that could point to a reality that we can study and understand beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. One of those things is that the disciples were still children, just like they are today. If you go to the temple, you're not going to see a 50-year-old man following around a 30-year-old rabbi. Yeah, yeah. You'll see that. You'll see children. Mm-hmm. Uh, they use the term Talmudim. It's their disciples. You'd pick them, and they'd follow you around, and you'd live life with them. You'd eat with them. They'd talk to you, tell you stories, teach. Like, you'd follow them, right? Yeah. We have every reason to believe that that's how it was 2,000 years ago as well especially because there's a passage in, uh, I think it's Matthew 18 or 19, uh, where Jesus tells Peter to go cast his rod into the sea and the first fish he'll catch would have the temple tax for he and Jesus, right? Yeah. Because the Jews were like, hey, aren't you going to pay the temple tax, yada, yada, yada? And he's like, listen, we don't have to obey the rules, but so that we don't cause issues, let's follow the rules. Yeah. Uh, um, and Peter goes and he gets, you know, the two shekels to, for the temple tax for he and Jesus. And in the next scene, they're in the temple and Jesus is teaching, but all of the disciples are there. Yeah. What about the other 11? Mm-hmm. Did they sneak in? Did they like climb over the fence? Mm-hmm. Right. What'd they do? Well, you go to Exodus and I, I'm blanking on the chapter right now. Uh, I want to say 33, maybe, or 32? I don't know. Uh, but Moses is giving a law and he's like, hey, anyone that's uh, older than the age of 20 needs to pay a temple tax. Everybody younger than that doesn't need to. Yeah. So what does that say? Uh, that says Peter and Jesus are at least 20 years old. Well, we know that Jesus was 30-ish when he started his ministry. Uh, and so Peter is at least 20. Yeah. A little bit older. Most conservative Bible scholars believe that John the beloved, the one who wrote the gospel of John or the letters, right. Um, was about nine years old when Jesus called him. Wow. That's younger than I thought. 
I thought, I guess I thought it was like 12 or 13 or something like that. That's, That's possible. Wild. I mean, these like, and, and it, it, this is all like, oh. it's all edu- educated guessing mm-hmm. for John, right? Yeah. We know that at least Jesus and Peter were older than 20. Yeah. Um, but that also makes sense. Like we have writings um, from a little bit later than Jesus's day talking about the religious structure and what schools were like. And the, the gist of it is, right, you had, let's just say elementary, junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. Um, elementary started at five-ish. And uh, by the time you graduated elementary, you'd have the first five books of the Bible memorized. Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? You'd have that memorized. And then you'd go on to junior high. In junior high, uh, that's where you did a lot of more in-depth studying and and discussion. Uh, But then rabbis would come, and they'd come to you while you're in junior high, middle school, and they would ask questions, or they would uh, start discussion prompts. And the goal was to see where you were at as a pupil. Yeah. And they, they judged you not by your ability to answer a question, but by your ability to ask a question. That's mm. powerful because we show more intelligence in how we ask a question than how we answer a question. Because questions reveal nuance, right? Um, yeah, it's just how it works, right? Uh, cool. you, the, the more educated you are on a topic, the better questions you can ask versus someone yeah. who isn't, right? Yeah. So they'd pick you and then you'd go and follow them around from like uh, 18 to 30. Sure. Um, If you were like the best of the best, the cream of the crop, then you could uh, pick your disciples from anywhere, right? Not only that, but you were also able to teach your own interpretation as truth, right? This is why we see Jesus teaching and they're like, whoa, we've never heard anybody speak like this. He graduated top of the class, right? But he also got to pick his disciples. And where did he go? He yeah. didn't go to the synagogues. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to the temple. Tradesmen that weren't mm-hmm. that didn't make it on the first pass, right? Because if you didn't get picked from elementary school to go into junior high, then you went to go work with your dad. Yeah. You failed. So yeah. go be about your father's business. Yeah. Right. Jesus picked the people that failed because he could. That's also why they judged his disciples. Yeah. He's like, who are these people? Yeah. He picked the ones that they would have never picked. It's so yeah. powerful, right? He's amazing. So powerful. He's the crow. He's the best. Right? And so he's the crow. That's funny. He's, he's, he's it, dude. Yeah. But yeah, man. So I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling now. but No, no, that's powerful. So for again, the whole point of this was yeah. if we can look at – because the thing I fell in love with, the reason I fell in love with God is because yeah. I feel like I could – can I connected with Jesus in his humanity. Yeah. And that was the only way that the door, but he said it, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you, you'll see angels ascending and descending on the son of man, like that's the gate to this experience. So I connected with them as a person. And that was like, Oh my gosh. Like when I read a story in the Bible, I would just go, you were like a real guy. Yeah. And so I think it makes the, mythology of the bible can be even richer when you're grounded in the humanity of jesus yeah because i think that's like the best place for us to stand is like humans on that journey so it makes tons of sense man like so for you as a youth pastor you're sitting with a group of 
the parents of the people that go to your church and saying, listen, this is exactly how it's always been done. Yeah. Whether you know it or not, like this yeah. is the prime time yeah. for your kids. Yeah. That's powerful, bro. Because you think about like most people go to the to the supernatural aspect of the disciples and the things that they did, which is fine. I think it's good and it's natural to do that. But picture junior hires doing that. Yeah. Right? Picture picture your kids running around, putting their hands on people, and them walking when they've never yeah. been able to walk before. Yeah. That that is a characteristic of being in relationship with God. Yeah. Which is what we were designed to be. Right. And Jesus shows us that. Because Jesus was a human. He lived, he breathed, he ate, he farted. Yeah. Right? Like, and so when we look at Jesus, we shouldn't, in my opinion, just see a Lord and Savior, right? Mm. We should also see a brother, right? If he, if he is a king, which he is, then we should see ourselves as his heir, mm-hmm. which we are. Yeah. Right, which means, and this could be controversial, but our potential is embodied in the human of Jesus. If we take Philippians 2 literally, yeah, yeah, if we take the gospels literally. Well, if we take Jesus at his word, the things that I did, you two will do. You'll do greater things than these because. Yeah. So I get, so then to sum up some part of what you've said earlier is to divorce Jesus, to divorce Jesus from his humanity in his mythology is yeah. to disempower all of humanity from access to greatness. Yeah. From, from walking in their designed opportunity and potential. Isn't that crazy? That's powerful, bro. That's super cool. Okay. So, and so that's, me... that happens all if you separate the historicity from the story. Yeah. Which I, w- I would agree with. I just love, I like love this trail that we got to go on. So here's what I want to do. Um, first thing is, um, where can people find you if they want to hit you up, if they've got questions or anything like that, if they've got stupid things to say, you don't have to ever answer any of that. But if people just want to hit you up and like talk and you've got yeah. capacity for it, yeah. where's a good place for people, you know, social media or whatever to like, just yeah. reach out. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm on social media. I'm not super good always about following it. Right. Yeah. But like I'm on like Instagram and Facebook are the same. If you just search, uh, Casey Bolton Crocker or Casey B Crocker, you'll mm-hmm. find me. Cool. Uh, I'm friends with you on both platforms. So if they just go to you and look at the followers or whatever, right, they'll find mm-hmm. me. I'm on Twitter and I think I use that maybe 5% of the time. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. All, it's all but cool. if you want to follow me there, you can. I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, right. It's uh, at C's Eternity. Yes. Which is like, that's a. Uh, that's kind of like a, a website brand thing that I've been, I guess you could say building, but I really, I haven't done a good yes, dude. But the idea of like, you know, you seize eternity. Why settle for just one day? Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so there's that. Um, 
but yeah, I would say that's the best place to do it. That's cool. Okay. So then what we're going to do too is I'm, I just do this at the end. Um, yeah. What's something that the Rev crew can like be believing with you and Samantha yeah. for? Like what's mm. something we can pray for you for right now? And yeah. then when people hear this, they can keep you in prayer. Yeah. Oh man, that's good. Um, well, we've been talking a lot about kids. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. I like, that. I like that a lot. Uh, so that, mm-hmm. right. We, uh, I, I would, I, I hope to have, uh, an heir, <laughs> yeah. uh, within like the next two years. Come on, man. Right. If everything goes as it's designed to go, I'll put it that way. Sure. Right. So. All right, man. Well, I'm going to pray for you right now and then Thanks, um, man. I'll let you go. So father, I just yeah. pray for uh, Casey and Samantha right now. And um, Holy Spirit, I just, I pray for uh, Casey as a man and as a son, as a husband, as a disciple, as a teacher, um, as a shepherd, as uh, a glorious and awesome human being. And I pray for his beloved wife, Samantha. God, I pray for their family um, in the making and, and just the journey they've been on as um, individuals and the journey they've been on in their covenant together, God, I just pray. I pray that you give them like amazing, amazing, amazing children. Um, and God, that in their own journey, like they, they will never be fully ready and it will never be more exciting um, than, it, than it actually is when it actually happens. And so God, that they will, that was especially for Casey, like he wouldn't overthink um, where he is or where he's going, but God, he's got everything that he needs to be an amazing father. Um, and so I just pray for him as a dad and I pray for Samantha as a mom and um, just their life together. God, I pray for the, the stuff he's doing in New York City right now. Pray for their church community and um, the stuff that's in front of them. And I also just pray just for his friendships and his relationships. Um, God, that he, he'd have really deep friends, um, really powerful conversations, and um, that their, their marriage together would be like full of romance and full of connection and, and full of so, so much life, God. And so um, we just pray for your, your grace and your favor over them. We just commit them to you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're the bomb. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Casey, for spending time. And yeah, bro. I love you a lot. So anyways, um, yeah, get at Casey if you want to talk shop and talk a little treason because he, he'll scare you. It'll be really good stuff. So anyways, I think you're a really good human. I will talk to Thanks, you soon. bro. All right. I'll okay. talk to you later. All right. Okay, bye. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys, Tommy Green here. Just want to say thank you again for listening to this episode of the Rev Talks podcast. Our hope with each and every episode is that it would encourage you, maybe give you a reason to have a laugh, expand your capacity on the inside to love and empathy, appreciation, hopefully make your world just a little bit bigger and uh, give you faith, hope for the future. If you like what you heard, again, please share, subscribe, give us a good rating, give us some good feedback. Over all of this, thank you so much for taking us with you uh, in a small part of your day, on the drive, on on the run, you know, just as you're going about your day. Thank you so much for sharing uh, some time of your life with us on this podcast. Um, To connect with us, you can email us again at therevgatherings.com and we will see you on the next episode. Love you guys. Bye.
Uh, just a quick sort of uh, promotion or commercial. Um, the, a lot of you guys know that Chrissy and I have a high commitment um, to the struggle and the fight to end uh, human trafficking in our generation. Um, many of you guys know that we are the directors of a nonprofit called Run Against Traffic. And um, if you have any interest at all in joining the fight with us, if you are a runner or a walker or someone that cares about uh, seeing the survivors um, of human trafficking restored, seeing their lives put back together again after, you know, whatever circumstances and situations have brought them through this like terrible journey of force or fraud or coercion um, at the hands of human trafficking, uh, we would just encourage you to visit um, irunagainsttraffic.com. Join the team, run with us. We do a monthly digital run on the 15th of every month. Uh, pick up some gear, uh, join a local running club and share the fight. Um, a lot of people don't exactly know how to get involved with such a big problem, but we just wanna invite you guys to become part of um, the uh, Run Against Traffic community. Um, share this with a running friend, tell them about it. Uh, visit irunagainsttraffic.com to become part of our team today. Join us in the fight to not just end human trafficking, but um, recover and restore the victims of human trafficking in our generation. Appreciate you guys. Thanks.